Hello, everyone. This is Jeanette. And this is Lourdes. Welcome to Wise Women's Pride podcast. We didn't say who we are. Well, we're going to say it right now, Jeanette. Okay. We are <laughs> two Latina New York City counselors <laughs> who have an absolute interest in human behavior. I would say beyond interest, it's a passion. And we are passionate about women and working with women. Um, so I'm excited about this week's guest because I know this guest uh, personally, and she has been my professor in the past. Her name is Dr. Rebecca Vicente, and she's a licensed clinical social worker, a certified social worker, certified family trauma professional, and certified shamanic practitioner. Uh, her primary area of focus are in trauma and grief integration, diverse abilities, LGBTQIA issues, spirituality, and indigenous healing practices in mental health. Uh, working with her bone mother, Baba Yaga, and her Egyptian Pathion under the primary direction of Hathor, Dr. Vincent Vicente uses her skills and ex expertise in both areas to integrate the practices of mental health and shamanic medicine into a unique and powerful healing experience. I think that is welcome. Wow. So <laughs> 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 welcome to the show. Thank you for welcome, welcome. That is a lot, <laughs> a lot of magic and a lot of powerful healing. healing. Yes. <laughs> All about the healing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm going to jump right in. Yeah, please. Professor Vicente, <laughs> what's, what's preferable? You can call me Rebecca. That's okay. That's just fine. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> oh, Rebecca, what is a shamanic practitioner and how do you bridge that with your mental health practice. Okay, sure. And I asked that specific because I think a lot of us out there are not too clear about how you bridge what has been always kind of seen as shooting in the dark when it comes to spirituality. It's almost like, ah, uh, that's one part of the world that's kind of wacky. Mm -hmm. And then there's scientific uh, research-based therapy and that's for serious people who are serious about healing. <laughs> and obviously you are here to shine light on this. Sure. So the floor is yours. Well, thank you. Um, I think first I'll start with demystifying uh, shamanism because I think that there's a lot of um, just misinformation, misrepresentation, particularly in movies and the media. And a lot of times it's associated with like paganism, right? Or, you know, some crazy pact with the devil. And that is so not at all what it is. So, you know, shamanism, this is old as life. You know, shamans have been around really forever, just under different names. Um, and so we may have been under the, the name of, of a muse, a sage, a seer, um, medicine man, medicine woman, just that the town one stop doc who knows everything, who has these magic herbs that can you know, help heal your wound. But also, you know, shamans were the keepers of the folklore, right? The ones who continued to pass down the oral history. But many of these individuals also had kind of one foot in, in the ethereal, right? In this other kind of worldly 
type realm. They almost straddled kind of both um, reality and past slash spiritual, um, kind of like just behind the veil, right, of, of our reality. And so every you know, shamanic practitioner has a different style, a different training, you know, because shamans are found all over the world. A lot of our experiences influenced by wherever our mentors happened to, to practice. Um, the person that I had mentored with was really heavily rooted in the Peruvian um, shamanism and worked with the indigenous healers there in Peru. Um, and really, you know, me kind of coming into it my definition of shamanism is it's an earth medicine practice. So it's working with the elements, um, everything that this universe has to offer us and it's free, right? Um, the, you know, fire, water, earth, air, it's there, it's all there. Um, and we're just tapping into like every, we believe everything has an energy. And so we're, you know, honoring that, in each element and using that energy to help heal. And so it's, so it's, it's using earth medicine, but also tapping into our spirit guides, right? So everyone has, a, has spirit guides, um, whether you know it or not. Uh, and so many of us do have this unique ability to be able to connect. And so a lot of it is me connecting, you know, connecting with my guides who are then connecting with my client's guides to come up with the best plan, right? What, it, what medicine does my client need right now? What's going to help them with this particular situation? And then through, you know, different kind of interventions, such as um, we definitely use like herbalism, right? Like sacred sage, um, you know, uh, Palo Santo, Copal, you know, all different um, elements like that to, you know, really cleanse, cleanse energy, cleanse, um, create sacred space, right? So everything's very sacred to us. Um, and, you know, we do use drumming, rattling, um, chanting, singing, channeling, you know, really, we are very much a vessel for healing, just it comes through us and we are giving it to our clients. And so a lot of people are like, oh, this is so magical. This is so otherworldly. Um, mm -hmm. And maybe in a little, in a few ways it is, but a lot of us, you don't just kind of like wake up and say, oh, I'm going to be a shaman. That's what I'm going to do. Right. And that, and, you know, and I, I've named it and that's, that's who I am. Um, I think it's like with anything that happens organically, it sort of chooses us and it finds us. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, a lot of shamanic practitioners for us, it's a remembering versus we're learning how to do this stuff, right? So once we, you know, like for me personally, I always had this, this sense of connection and I did not know what, what it was. And so I didn't know who to go to, to help me find it. So, you know, yes, I'm a therapist, you know, by training, by discipline. So of course I've been in my own, my own treatment and I've had my own counselors and therapists and I felt like they can only bring me so far. Um, and I was like, well, I want to go deeper, but I don't know how, like, I don't know what I'm looking for. And so one day I did a Google search of what I felt I needed. And then up pops this medicine woman. And of course I was immediately unnerved because again, like in my family of origin to me, 
that meant, oh, somebody, uh, oh, she's probably, you know, evil in some way. And, you know, um, maybe I shouldn't reach out and just all this misinformation and like, just, you know, these, these stereotypical kind of thoughts of like what that could mean. And, um, but I kind of, I don't know, I felt called to this person and I went and I saw her and it changed my life. And then that's when I first came into contact with shamanism and it immediately resonated as if I'd been doing it my whole life. So what I have found in, in my practice, many of my clients, a lot of them had the same notion of by the time they come to me, they've been through many different, you know, therapists and they're like, you know, and they were good and they helped me, but I feel like I need something more. Or they'll say, you know, I'm not feeling good. I feel sad, but I'm not depressed. And I know it. I know that I don't need medication. I know that like, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not suicidal, but I'm not happy. Um, I feel like I'm in crisis, but I can't name any one thing that's causing me to be in crisis. And I don't know what to do about it. And I'm afraid that if I, you know, verbalize this, people are going to think I'm unstable. People are going to think that I need, you know, to be admitted to the hospital. And I know that that's not what I need, but I know that I need something. And so what I was kind of discovering is that a lot of my clients were actually in spiritual crisis. Mm. and couldn't name it. And it was presenting very much like depression, like anxiety, like addictions. And if I had no knowledge of shamanism, I I would, I know hands down, I would not have recognized this in any of my clients. I really would have been like, they're just resistant. They're not going deep enough. They're avoided. Uh, Maybe there's something here that another therapist missed. Early in my career, I did psychiatric emergency screening working with actively psychotic clients. But occasionally I'd come across a client who would talk to me about my sister, my mother, my partner, whoever called you because they think I'm crazy, but I'm not crazy. And of course I'd say, okay, well, you know, tell me a little about a little bit about what's what's going on and why you think they think this. And a lot of times I really have to pull it out because of the way it sounds and who I was at the, my role at the time, which was I did have the authority to involuntarily admit them. If I felt like due to a mental illness, they couldn't care for themselves. And I would find that they would be telling me these stories of my husband doesn't understand why I save a plate of dinner to put on an altar for my grandmother. Or my mother doesn't understand when I tell her that I speak to whoever who died before I was born, but this person gives me information that's really helped me. And, you know, they, they think that that sounds crazy. Right. Or when I say, Oh, I can't go to this place because I was told that it's not safe for me to go there. Well, who told you that? Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> and so-and-so who's been dead for 25 yeah. years. Yeah. Right. So there was a lot of that happening as well, or people having, you know, some, some, what we would, say paranormal experiences. Yeah. Um, and, and would those people be diagnosed with some type of mental illness? Yes. So you could see how, if you're in a spiritual crisis, that's going to depress you if you don't know how to come out of it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the diagnoses that we would see would be depression with psychotic features, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, psychotic disorder, not otherwise specified, meaning we don't know why. 
right? There's no family history here. They're not doing drugs, um, but they're, you know, they're receiving messages from the beyond. You know, I, I, I even remember early in my career assessing a five-year-old and this five-year-old was on a lot of medication, a lot of antipsychotics. She was for sure a little violent, had a lot of tactile visual hallucinations, command hallucinations, you know, telling her to hurt other people. And the more I spoke to her and I was not a religious, I was never a religious person. I'm recovering Catholic, you know, you know, very much like, you know, not into any conversations about religion really, or God or anything like that. But in my mind, I thought, have you tried an exorcism? Because the mother was like, I've tried everything. She's been in all these medications. And for whatever reason, that was a clear message to me. At the time, I was just like, I don't know why that came up. I didn't verbalize it, but I was like, I don't even know why I would think that. Cause like, I'm, wow. you know, but I, but it came up strong. I don't think this is a hundred percent mental illness. I like, I felt, I felt an energy from her that was, it was dark and yeah. Yeah. Like in my mind, I'm like, what's going on in that house? Maybe you need a house blessing. Maybe there's, you know, an a, a energy there that is not healthy and it, you're, it's manifesting in your daughter. And early in my career, I, I didn't even know how to introduce conversations like that. I didn't even know where it fit in, in mental health. And so just a combination of these experiences, you know, kind of brings me to this place where, you know, I've been in practice for many, you know, many, many years now and acknowledging that some of our clients have multiple things going on and that they need just more than the traditional approach, which is sit yeah. here and talk to me about what's going on. And then like, let's come up with a plan. You can do all the planning you want. Right. But if they're not healthy, when we're treating the whole person, right. If you're leaving out the spiritual part of that person and you're not treating the whole person and they're not going to be, right. you know, they're not going to be a hundred, you know, they're, they're, they're best selves because yeah. you're leaving that part out. And for some of our clients, that part is the most important part. And they're just not introducing that in traditional therapy because they have a therapist that they feel has not made it safe enough for them to even bring it in. Mm. I just want to say two things before I ask you the, in working with students, uh, children, uh, specifically adolescents, Jeanette and I have encountered uh, numbers of uh, students in crisis and what we usually are allowed to say is an emotional crisis, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that sometimes require an EMS call where they're just looked at, like you said, from one perspective and the holistic approach is not in play. So we often ignore the spiritual crises um, it's almost like we were afraid to even mention it like you were in very early on in your, your practice, mm -hmm. because we are all taught still to this day. I mean, you know, if I say to somebody, I'm going to go get my chakras aligned, they mm -hmm. go, okay, do that crazy. Um, mm -hmm. but if I say, I'm going to go, you know, renew my prescription, of course yeah. you are. Yeah. Of course yeah. you are. Yeah. Right. Right. You That's know? the healthy thing to do. I'm really yeah. glad you're compliant. Yeah. <laughs> compliant yeah. exactly yeah <laughs> good patient you're a good patient yeah yeah uh, but it requires faith it requires a certain amount of 
I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I know that there's more to this than, like you said, uh, than just sadness. Um, I'm going to put faith into this. And it sounds like you do a really great job at supporting your clients and, and bringing that faith in to the table, maybe not all at once, but mm -hmm. gradually, I think it does require a certain amount of faith that this is going to work. And not just because it's my last chance before I, you know, I go to a, a, a mental um, ward for a while, but because something's calling me to it. So thank you very much for sharing all of that. Who have been some of your healers? if you can name you know like we're poets have poets who have mm -hmm. who have been some of your healers so you know early I think when I first embarked on this journey I was very drawn to Deepak Chopra just really he just really resonated with me a lot of his meditations and so he was sort of like that first the first person I followed and like through him like found some other people I will say my the person that mentored me at the time was very pivotal in this process for me. Um, and so I really credit, credit her for opening me up in a way to receive, to receive this remembering. So I feel like she was a huge, huge part. Um, but, my, but early on, like, I feel like Deepak, was my guy like he I just I just felt like you know everything he he spoke about and it really helped it really helped me come out of that robotic thinking that we're like you know that training kind of everything has you know everything has to be rational everything you, you have to be able to explain it scientifically or it's not credible you know and so you talk about faith which is not always something that we can see and touch and it's an inner knowing um, that we have to trust. And I think that as children, we have that naturally. I feel like the grownups discourage us from continuing to nurture that part of ourselves because it becomes about like, well, if you can't prove it, then it's not real and it didn't happen. And exactly. I don't care what your gut says, show me the proof, show me the fact. Right. And so I feel we move away from it. But I, but I think really as children, we're, we're totally tapped into this stuff. So I think a lot of us are lost in adulthood because our, our natural sense of things is, has been discouraged. And we're kind of like trying to find it again and trying to find it in a world of, you know, rational thinking adults who have a really hard time with the, with the abstract and the gray, you know? So I feel like early on, yes, I, I had some if I, gurus, if you will, or people that I followed. And then there were definitely, I call them humans, right? Humans in my life helped me like people, people that I met that are still very close friends with me right now, who maybe started this journey um, before I did, but they gave me the space to be able to talk about these things without feeling crazy, without feeling like they're going to judge me and they're going to think that I'm totally, you know, like a lunatic. And so they were really pivotal in supporting me through my journey. I think that that's really important too. Many of our clients don't have that. We're that person for them. I, I wonder, I'm sorry, Jeanette, I mm -hmm. wonder if this kind of stigma would be the same with a male shaman. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of Gabor Mate, who for years was 
a mental health practitioner before that a, a medical doctor in in Vancouver yes. Canada yeah. and has recently now talked you know is now treating clients with um, ayahuasca and really pushing um, plant medication plant medicine yep yeah and so I just wonder you know yeah I mean there's so much coming out right like plant medicine and even microdosing, right? All of these things that people wouldn't even think to mention because it's like, we didn't train you to, <laughs> we didn't train you to talk about those things and, you know, <laughs> even suggest those things. That's like dangerous stuff, right? Yes. Yeah. Can't, everything can be dangerous, right? It's everything in moderation and everything also making sure that you're being guided by somebody who knows what they're doing. And that can be tricky. Right. Absolutely. Finding, finding that right person. I think, you know, and it's also, it's the institutionalization of, of healing, right? We, we, we've had healers, like you said, throughout history, like the, the human, the human species has survived because these healers were able to uh, learn about their environment and use the environment and what was in the environment to create medicines for their tribe, for their groups, so that they could survive whatever illness they they, they were going through. So the, the the survival of the human race be, was uh, the human species was very much also because of these healers who now are looked at as something negative because the, the idea like healing has become. Uh, an institution it's become it's, commercialized it's become a business and colonized absolutely and colonized so mm-hmm. when you start to pull all these layers off you start to recognize that this this is how always been and we're here because of those people that are now being shunned or looked down on that's you right know? so bringing it back to the source i think is so important and and, and i you know how i feel about the work that you're doing i, I love it and i think it's it's really powerful. And, and the idea of counseling, the counseling, acknowledging now more and more the need to look at the client as someone who may be experiencing a spiritual crisis is very much part of the human experience. Um, so I wanted to ask you specifically about what has been your experience? You know, what struggles do you see with working through issues such as uh you specialize in grief. Um, so what's been your experience uh, with working with people who was uh, going through grief and loss and, and also the mother wound? Um, what has been your experience, especially, uh, specifically with uh, women? But we, you can also speak generally as well too. So, you know, grief is for sure complicated uh, emotional process. And I think that we have to acknowledge like the systemic issues that are, you know, at play here, particularly in in our country. We know that when we're talking about like education, right? Um, That like, that's, that's for sure, like a gear in the system that is, you know, colonized and, you know, those that have been marginalized by the system, it's set up that way for a reason. We know that it, it has been perpetuated for centuries because the majority has the power in this system. When we're talking about grief, so even in the system of education, right? Counselor education, 
we're taught about grief in stages, right? And, and so we take, you know, a lot of people take that very literally, like, okay, these are the stages of grief. And like, once they get to this stage, like, that's it. Yes. They're cured, they're yes. done. And it's not like that all the time. We know these stages are not necessarily in order. We know that they need to be updated, right? Nobody really talks about how these stages of grief were originally developed to help the terminally ill patient right, right. who had this knowledge <laughs> that they were about to die, <laughs> right? right? So, so in like kind of like reintroducing the stages and 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 you know integration is it has is like a huge part of it versus acceptance because quite honestly many many of our clients are grieving for lifetimes for yes. years. So grief is very, very complicated. And I say integration because that's exactly what it is. It's, it's bringing that experience into your reality and acknowledging it and then continuing to move forward with this knowing in a way that it's part of your history and it's part of your being, but it doesn't necessarily have to disrupt everything. Mm -hmm. So it, it can be a challenge because a lot of people get stuck in their grief. And they hold on to it as an anchor, you know, because if like, if I stop grieving, what if I start to forget, right? This person that I lost or this relationship, this job, this whatever. Yeah. So, so it is a lot of like integrating and, and, and really acknowledging, like you can still have these memories without being tortured on a daily basis. Right. And so, yeah. So, so grief, I think is really complicated when we're doing that work. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of shadow work, right? It's a lot of um, acknowledging like you're grieving this situation, but it's tied to all these other things. So you right. talk, you asked me about the mother wound. Yes, like that can for sure be be a source or like a root. I think a lot of a lot of us, not even our clients, I just us in general. I think that many times we don't get to the root. We're just like, this is a situation. This is bothering me. I want to fix this, and I want to move on with my life. But when we have the, when the root is still there, right. You can cut the tree, but the root's still there. It's just going to grow again. So I think when you talk about the mother wound, you know, and you know, again, through history, right. Everything that could be wrong with our clients, oh, it's your mother, something happened with your mother. And that's <laughs> why you, you know, can't right. find the right partner or can't, you know, have a hard time with dairy, like whatever it's your mother's fault. And so there's some there's a, sometimes a strange truth to that, but it's not as literal as, you know, way back when, when they were blaming like women for like, you know, different um, disorders and, and, and things that were more organic than, you know, it's because your mother didn't love you kind of a thing. I think like the mother wound is a grieving process um, is huge. And yes. So when in, in talking about working with women in particular, a lot of, a lot of those wounds are you know, our childhood wounds. Um, and yeah, they are definitely also, you know, associated with that, that maternal, right. The divine feminine. And this is really hard. This is a really hard part of healing is to be able to empathize with your aggressor, perpetrator, offender, if you will. Sometimes it's really hard to acknowledge that yeah. this person who I'm Right. There's a conflicting feeling, right? That this, uh-huh. If we're talking about the mother wound, let's say this is my mother. I love her. She's my mother, but she hurt me. Yeah. Right. And I'm angry. I'm angry with her and I resent her at the same time that I love her and I honor her. And so like trying to more of a, of an acknowledgement versus a, you have to be okay with this. 
but just acknowledging like you can love and resent someone at the same time. And then also acknowledging that our mothers, our parents in general, a lot of them, most of them were only working from the reality that they knew and the resources that they had. And so they didn't meet our expectations in a lot of ways, not because they couldn't, not be, I'm sorry, not because they chose not to, but because they couldn't. They didn't know how. They didn't have the capacity, the skills, the resources right. yeah. to do that. And so did they hurt you in the process? Absolutely. Yeah. But then we need to start doing the work on, it wasn't about me. It's not that they didn't love me. It's not they wanted to hurt me. It's not that this was a personal vendetta against me. It was they really, really thought somewhere that they were doing the best that they could, that they were doing the right thing, even though it wasn't the right thing. Yeah. And so how can I, you know, how can I heal that within my, within myself, right? Knowing that like, I'm a good person. I am lovable. I am worthy of a healthy, loving relationship and breaking that intergenerational pattern of, I don't want to pass this on to my, to my children, to my daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so a lot of the mother wound work is also some ancestral intergenerational work. Um, and recognizing, acknowledging that, that, that there are patterns there um, that we have the power to break yeah, and heal yeah. in this lifetime, right? That's, yeah. That sounds like a lot, Rebecca. That it's, is- a whole lot. it's a whole lot. It's a whole thing. Yeah. And I have, too to say, much. I have to say that, um, so for the mother wound episode has had the most you has been That's has right. been listened to the most from all of our podcasts That's right. um and so that was the reason why we wanted to put it in that and ask you yeah. about it and when you talk about the ability to forgive your perpetrator the ability to forgive the person who hurt you who wounded you um mm-hmm. we talked a lot about that with fig and and her turning mm-hmm. point was when she was able to see her mother as a woman and forgive her and in forgiving her her mother forgiving herself which was like Oh, she blew my mind when she said yeah. that, you know, and yeah. you're really speaking to that, the power of forgiveness and how that is part of the healing process. And knowing that forgiveness isn't about the other person. Cause I think that that's where we really get stuck with the, with the forgiveness piece of it. Right. It's like, I will never forgive this person. We'll never yes. let them get away with what they did. And yes. so acknowledging like forgiveness isn't about the other person. Forgiveness right. is about releasing yourself from being tied to that painful, you know, negative memory and energy, right? It's forgiveness is freedom for you. And there's a inevitably a trickle down effect to that. Right. And then, you know, yeah. Rebecca, when you were talking about the, uh, the systemic problems tied to grief and how, you know, we do need to revisit the cycle and how it just doesn't fit properly and, and our need to like go through it as quickly as possible so that we can go back to normalcy. I thought immediately about my own mother who wore black all of her life Mm. um, and was grieving her country, the loss of her child, the loss of her youth and never, you know, she would kind of move in the world sometimes seemingly okay and would even laugh once in a while but she felt so comfortable in that grief. Yes. And God knows what fears she must have had. Like if, what if I do wear white one day? What if I do put on lipstick? Mm-hmm. Does that mean I don't care anymore? Does that mean I'm okay? Exactly. So I, I'm, yeah. and I think similarly, 
when you were talking about having to forgive in order to move on, how we as women specifically, I think, I don't know, um, we tend to find comfort in that role of victim instead of shedding it. Um, so my question, I guess this question, what, what's your advice? What's, how would you guide a woman who feels stuck or idle and hasn't been able to move forward either in her work or in her relationships with others? Um, and, and she comes to you with like, like answers, so please help me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think my, like one of my questions would be, what are you gaining from being in this space, right? Because every behavior has a gain for us or we wouldn't be doing it over and over again. You know, so a lot of times a client will come and say, I'm tired of being tired. I'm tired of grieving. I'm tired of being upset. Okay, and how long has this been going on? My whole life, right? Or, you know, ever since this or whatever. It, there's a gain that's, you're getting something out of being in this place. So what is that thing that you're getting? And is there a way to get that without having to grieve, right? And so, so I feel like a lot of times there's a control factor to it as well. So as much as people don't want to be in this space, there's a level of predictability about this space. And there's a level yes. of control about it as well. Like I feel like shit, but I know why, right? And so do I like it? No but it brings me some comfort because maybe that's the only thing tying me to that thing that I'm grieving. Hmm. Right. So there is that fear of what happens if I, if I am happy, right. The happier I get, the maybe the more I'm going to move away from this memory that I have of this person or, you know, um, whatever the situation is, um, you know, so sometimes there's more fear in breaking, uh, releasing ourselves from that and moving into something else what, like, what will happen if I'm start living my best life? What, what does that yeah. mean for me? That's going to change my identity, right? I, everybody knows me as this way. They don't know how to relate to me, to be happy, to be wearing white, to, you know, oh, no, no, I'm, we're not going to talk about that. You know, let me, let me tell you about the great stuff that's been going on in my life, right? You know, like right. this, this situation is a huge part of my life and I hold it dear, but I don't feel this need to talk about it every five minutes now. Like I want to talk about other things, right? I want to, mm -hmm. I want to evolve. I want to grow. And mm -hmm. so like, this is what I mean by like, like kind of reintegrating, right. The, the experience. Um, and so really kind of getting to the root of like what being tied to it is giving that person and exploring. Okay. That thing that you need that you're getting from being stuck in a place that you're saying you don't want to be, there can be other ways to get that healthier ways, ways that aren't as emotionally taxing and draining because a lot of times it's unconscious. Like a lot of people like, you know, they're like, I don't know why I'm stuck, but I know that I am and, and it's hard. And so, and acknowledging that healing is hard because everyone's like, Oh, healing. Oh, it's beautiful. Like, okay. The end result. Yes. But the process, not so much. <laughs> You know, so, so really just kind of like, I like keep it real with my clients. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. It's going to be messy, but you owe it to yourself, right? You're saying you want to live your best life. You can do that, but it, there's a process. 
right. <clears throat> I'm here to help you with that process. But it's not impossible to move to move into a new chapter in your life, no matter how old you are too, because we get that as well. Oh, I'm whatever years old. What's the point? Not much is going to change in my life at this point. And just like, okay, well, you would be surprised. You know what I mean? Like you've got a, got a lot of time ahead of you. You have all these other things changing around you, but yet you're stuck here. Yeah. So I would, I would really just want to explore what's really tying them to this space. Uh, and, that, and that's also an extremely difficult question, right? Like, uh, I don't know. What do you like? Give me back my blankie. <laughs> it's almost like, you know, that uh, don't make me question why I don't need this yes. anchor. Yes. So that's, that's, uh, that's extremely difficult. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're going to move on to a, a more, I don't know, I think Crone like question. Okay. <laughs> hey, ready. Rebecca's energy is awesome. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I had a question about your thoughts of the crone. What are your thoughts about the crone and what she has to offer us in terms of, you know, just looking at her um, as women? I love the crone. Yes, I know. Um, (laughs) I do. Um, so what I, what, what do I think about the crone? I think that crone is widely misunderstood. I think she gets a bad, a bad reputation, um, because of how she's depicted throughout history. I mean, when we think crone, you know, we think, you know, you know, we were talking about this, right. Hansel and Gretel and like the old lady in the woods that eats kids, you know, or, you know, the, the old lady from Snow White, you know, just somebody who's there to, trick you and wreak havoc and you know make things harder for you and and someone to be feared and so I think even in like just historically like crone is like for a lot of maybe the way we think because of how we're programmed it's like that's sort of an end result that we we never really want to get to right so there's always this emphasis on youth you know on you know staying young as young as as you can for as long as you can, because when you get to this crone stage, everyone's going to be afraid of you. You're not <laughs> going to be beautiful. Yeah. Um, you know, you're going to be alone in the woods at the mercy of like some random visitor that might wander in. Right. Right. And so, yeah. so I think that that's kind of historically how crone has been set up. What I feel about crone and, and, and also, you know, mentioning like one of my, like, own mother, one of my primary guides is Baba Yaga, who is the crone. I mean, she is basically the old lady from House of Gretel. <laughs> and but there's also something really redeeming and really beautiful about crone. I think that as a woman, to get to the crone stage in your life is an acknowledgement of a life lived, of all of your experience, right? And and of this sort of wisdom and knowledge, um, and lived experience, as well as, you know, this ability to, um, to be, to be very maternal, but to also be very assertive, right. And, um, really to be at a place where you're really clear about what, you know, your expectations about your boundaries. Whereas I always think like Hansel and Gretel and I'm just, you know, I'm like, I mean, they did wander into her house. (laughs) (laughs) You know, she's out alone out there. She probably does, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm just, 
you know, thinking about like, how we do we treat our elderly, right? Yeah. Like, you know, um, our geriatric population, ageism, like all of those things really kind of come up for me. And I feel like the crone really, I think represents like a life fulfilled. Um, and, and I know that there's this fear of like, I don't want to be old and wrinkly and hunched over and, you know, people being afraid of me, but you know, A, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, B, I think, again, this goes back to, I know our system, it goes back to our system and just how, you know, what, how we're, how we're taught to think about the aging population that we're just yeah. older and decrepit and, you know, we need to be taken care of and we can't make decisions mm-hmm. for ourselves. And do we get to that point yeah. sometimes, but I think if I can grow old and be a crone, like Baba Yaga, I would be so happy. I feel like there's so much power in the fine lines on your face that every wrinkles represents a year lived a year of what you, what you've done, right. Yeah. Your hair turning gray. So, I mean, like, I know like Jeanette talking about like moving into the crone stage and like, you know, before quarantine, well, right at quarantine, really, when we were like home and couldn't do anything, I stopped dyeing my hair because I couldn't. And I kind of went through this, you know, it was a very introspective time for a lot of us. But I said, you know, I think it's time to embrace my graves because I feel like it's sort of a testament to like where I'm at in my life. And then it gets just time. I just felt like it was just time for me to really shed all of this. Like, why am I dying in here? Is it for me? Right. Why? Because I don't want people to think I'm old. Like, why am I doing this? Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so fast forward, it's been like two years since I've done, like dyed my hair at all. I've like cut out all, yeah, all of the, you know, my ends, you know, still had some like highlight stuff, like that was all cut out. And so, yes, I went through a period of like, oh my gosh, like this is going to age me, right? Everyone's going to be like, what happened? You know, but <laughs> what happened? What, what the happened? hell happened so right? during the quarantine? Like, but, but at the same time, I feel like it's almost like a, a rite of passage, if mm. that makes sense. And yes, so, yes. you know, and I've met older, older, older women, and even women that are my age or younger who have grayed like way before me and just like uh, let, let, let themselves gray and talked about it's such a sacred process. Um, and you know, or they stop cutting their hair It's like every inch is representative of something. And, you know, so, so when I think about crone and also working with crone and knowing like, yes, it can be a little scary initially, but like, once you really understand the life that has been lived, it's just a beautiful, beautiful story that we want to hear, right? The crones are the keepers of our history, they're the yes. ones that are going to tell us all these things that happened that we weren't there for. We have no point of reference for, you know? So, so I, I love Crone and I wish that she was a little bit more embraced um, and less feared because yeah. yes, she's a force to be reckoned with. And so she should be feared in that way, but she's also really beautiful and can teach us so much. Like she has so much wisdom and knowledge. And if people would just take the time to sit down and listen to her they yeah. would learn so much yeah and I, uh, you know I when op- I, yeah what well, i was sorry <laughs> oh, um, i have so much to say <laughs> i know she's like go ahead go ahead Finn. you go first 
<laughs> go ahead, go ahead. I feel it. Go. Oh, oh, no. Dale, dale. I just, Ted, well, first right. of all, I just applaud you in the graying. I just, as I, as I get ready for my hair appointment later this afternoon. <laughs> it's, it's, the, listen, it's a process. Like I, I, there are times I like it. I wake up and I'm just like, maybe I'm over it. Like, no, this is, but this is who I am by nature. Like, no, you made a commitment. You need to see. <laughs> no, but I listen. I am. I always poo-poo my girlfriends who are like, oh, you know, considering Botox or, um, you know, although that line it's getting there. You know, it's so obvious, and and I just yeah. want to scream to my girlfriends like, let your body be, embrace it as it's, as it it is shifting and changing. And I think about. Uh, mom, who's my my ex mom in law, um, she's I, she's my mom. I call her mom, mm-hmm. and uh, she's seventy three, and mm-hmm. I have never seen her more maiden like in in her it's entire life. She is mm-hmm. her entire gray hair. She's embracing all of her wrinkles. She's taking care of her body. She's in really exploring where she is and what she likes for the first time ever in her life, having been so, um, I think, other oriented and connected to the system, as you say, uh, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Uh, you know, we do live in this world mm-hmm. that says we, we praise and uh, acknowledge your youthful beauty. And then we fear your wise, saggy butt. Right. And <laughs> it shouldn't be. And I don't, and I will be so lucky to <laughs> why saggy butt. <laughs> why saggy butt? That's that's what Dr. Shafali says in her um... WSB. Embrace your WSB. I'm sorry. I'm like yeah, yeah, yeah. Go <laughs> you, saggy buttocks because that's the first that goes. You know. Yeah, yeah you know. I don't know. <laughs> but I think it's just a testament of like that butt has you know <laughs> sat in very important places. <laughs> had seats at very important tables like I do feel like Crohn stage is when we're most unapologetic like yes this is me in all my glory like <laughs> I love it take yeah. it or leave it yeah and I, if, I don't it. even care anymore like that's <laughs> like I feel where the Crohn stage is is just like yeah. And you want to know what's interesting about, so when, when um, I came up with the idea of wise woman's pride, right. And, and the four archetypes, the crone was the first one. I I might've said this to you. The crone was the first that came, she showed up and, and, and the idea of this woman has not been embraced and perhaps because I'm going into the crone stage chronologically. Right. Um, and what does that mean? And what does it mean to be a woman who's older and how, how the world sees um, that? And, and so the crone has, is powerful. And it's, I think it's because of her power, because of her wisdom and what she has to offer, you know, because she is that spiritual healer in us, you know, that can inform all, so much of what's happening with us that she was, um, there was an attempt to subjugate her, to put her in a situation, in a position where she lost power. Oh, for sure. So um, in, in thinking of wise woman's pride, I'm, I'm interested in embracing the, the crone because the crone is always there. She lives in us from day one. She's developing. Right. And, and, and I've said this time and time again on the show and fig, you know, we, we've come across many young women who, who were living as crones because they had experienced Absolutely. so much already and had so yeah. much wisdom yeah. at such a young age. Um, 
and uh, they're like Crohn's in the making. So the idea of if we can embrace this woman earlier on in our in our lives and know that she's ever present and always there to guide, right? And to mm-hmm. to 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 validate um, when we are there in terms of our age, when we are in the Crohn season. Uh, of our lives, right? Uh, it become it, it will be an easier transition and, and I think a, a greater embrace. So part of this is also for, for all the young women who are listening, the millennial women and, and Gen Z and everyone else um, to, to start looking at this person, this archetype in a way that's uh, validating because it well, validates like, us. As Rebecca said, it's a remembering yeah. Uh, in many ways, it's uh, what we've always been, but we, it, what's brilliant, I'm going to use it as a, the title of a short story. You said lost in adulthood. If there, you know, if no one's taken it, I'm writing a short story called lost in adulthood. And we forget, we forget where we come from. And, and you, Jeanette and I have sat in so many mediations with uh, adult teachers and a child. And I can't tell you how that crone shines in that child. You know, to, to sit in a mediation with an adult and talk about feelings in itself is something like you don't expect that from somebody whose brain is still not even completely solidified. But yet they're so they, very old. Correct. And they remember where they come from. They you could even hear it sometimes like the voice of the ancestor coming through them. It's just, it floors me all the time. And I think that's why I love working with adolescents so much. Yeah. Um, before, uh, Fig, I'm going to have you ask the last question, but I do want to, okay. while, while, while we're still on the crone, um, uh, we've, we've had, uh, we look at the crone in different, under three different lenses. So that's, uh, she's a healer, um, uh, a a reflector, meaning reflection, internal work, right? So someone who doesn't, who's doing internal work, mm-hmm. someone who is interested in healing themselves, healing others, um, and then also someone who is of service. And so how can service to others be instrumental in our healing process? Wow, that's a good question. <laughs> that's a really good question. And I think from a healer, a healer's perspective or a healing perspective, Every time we are healing others or helping others, we're healing ourselves simultaneously. It's almost impossible not to. Um, and so that is the power in acts of service, right? And so, so a lot of times, you know, when we're like our little kids, we want, we want our children to like volunteer. And for some, it's like, I just have to do this to get whatever I want. But, you know, really behind that is like, we're, we're, te- we're teaching a skill. Not only are we teaching a skill, but we're also, you know, we're teaching empathy, right? But we're also teaching them that to give without the expectation of receiving back. So to give with joy, right? To, you know, to, to be happy to give. So I think like as a healer, and I, and I, and I think that this is that sort of double-edged sword where I think a lot of us have a hard time is when we are, we're doing, we're, we're giving a service. We're also maybe charging for that service. Right. And so a lot of us are, so some of us are like, this is a suggested rate. Your client is like, I can't pay you. That's okay. I'm still going to heal you. I'm still going to give you healing because it's not about the money. Right. Is it nice to get something in return because this is part of my livelihood? Of course, you know, but 
it would never be a, a thing where it's just like, oh, you can't pay me. Yeah, sorry, I can't help you kind of a thing. I mean, well, for me and for others, right? I guess it's how you tell some people apart, right? Um, for others, it might be like hard, sorry, you know, can't help you kind of a thing. But as kind of energetically and emotionally exhausting sometimes this work can be, it is healing at the same time. So I find like the more, the more energy that I'm giving to someone else to, to help, you know, I, I would say my healing practice versus other people that try to suck the energy out. That's a whole other thing. But, um, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, trying to help people and heal them. Like you are getting healed in return. I feel like even though you're giving and it feels, you know, maybe people say like, that's like a withdrawal, but like at the same time, like there's a deposit being made too into our energetic field, right. Into our, our psyche, our little karmic bank, if you will, when it's coming from a, from a genuine authentic place, you're, you can't lose. It's sort of like a win-win, you know? Um, and I just think the more that we do this work, it's like, like, I can't, like, I can't imagine not doing this work now that I'm doing it. And I don't, I'm never thinking about, oh, what's coming back to me while I'm doing this. I don't think about that. I, but I just know, I just know that what's good for my client. It's good for me too, if that makes sense. So I think, I think that acts of service are like, that should be the primary focus in like doing this healing work versus is it going to make me money? You know, is it going to bring me accolades and praise? I just, I find like my, myself and my like tribal, my, my sister tribe, like many of us, do we have websites? Yes. Do we have business cards? Yes. Do we market and advertise ourselves? Maybe on a small scale, like look at my Instagram page, but like not really. So most of the time, like a lot of the clients we get, they find us. It's not us kind of like going out there and being like, come check us out. Like, you know what I mean? Um, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but like energetically, like synchronistically, yeah. I feel that they are guided to us. Yeah. And, and I, they will find us. Yeah. So before we so. end and before Fig uh, gives the, uh, the final question, I do want to ask if anyone is interested in working with you, where can they find you? So I'm, um, I'm, I'm helping promote you because <laughs> you um, don't do it very well. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. See, that's what I'm talking about. I, I yeah. don't do um, so I do, I do have my LLC called spirit of Hathor. I can be found on Instagram. That's not, it's not my forte Instagram. I'm going to be honest, but you can find me on Instagram. Um, and also I do have a website. Um, so it's, it's spirit of Hathor, um, my site on Wix, mm-hmm. um, and spirit of Hathor.com. It's spirit of Hathor dot Wix site. That's W I X S I T E.com. Wix. And Wix. yeah. And on Instagram, it's spirit of Hathor LLC. Okay. Thank big. you, Rebecca. Yes, absolutely. So I think this may be redundant. But I'm going to ask you anyway, which of the four archetypes manifest the most in your life and which is the second one? I I would say that crone definitely manifests the most in my life. No surprise there. (laughs) 
Um, and second, um, like the warrior, I think warrior would be second. And why the warrior? I the see warrior myself in you. Yeah. 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 I, I do see myself very much as, as a warrior, like always, you know? So, I mean, I think that some of that goes back to like my Taino roots, my ancestral roots, um, just even like even the Egyptian guides I work with very much empowered feminine um, energies, you know, just very much empowered and unapologetic. And I always feel like even from childhood, I just feel like emotionally, energetically that I'm always fighting the good fight, if that makes sense. So warrior just, it fits. Like I, I know, like if somebody was like, hey, warrior, I would turn around. I'd be like, I'm talking to me. right? It, just, it feels like maybe that's who I am, like, or who I've been in other lifetimes. It yeah. just, it just resonates. Yeah, and um, I, I just, I do feel like without that warrior energy, I'd probably be dead, honestly. Like, I just feel like that archetype has helped me navigate to some of the most difficult times in my life along with crone but um you know i think that I, I do have that warrior energy even though a lot of times i come across as very zen very chill which i am but i'm not as passive i think as people maybe <laughs> yeah. i don't strike me as passive I at know. all rebecca oh good oh see all. because the crone is like eh. <laughs> get rid of that now no, but you yeah. are, you are very kind and, and very generous person. And so I could see how some people might mistake that kindness for weakness <laughs> or, mm. you know, kindness for passivity um, yeah. more specifically. Absolutely. Um, yeah, for sure. And I, I had this conversation with Vig, I think it was yesterday. I'm constant conflict between the Zen wanting to be the Zen person and this warrior, like constantly. And you so that's both, the right duality. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> And it's, it's hard. It's an ongoing battle. I think, you know, it's because there's so much of what we do and practice that is, that is tied to our roots and, and first nation. And then there's this modern world that says, you know, don't forget this and don't forget that. And these, all these other qualities that have, you know, go against, I don't know, you're right. It's a duality, but it's hard. It's, it's an ongoing battle. What else can I say? Yeah. Um, well, I, I are you we, great? I'm good. Are you, you good? This you, was a fantastic Super. <laughs> I told you Rebecca, she was awesome. Rebecca, thank you so much. I know, seriously, uh, I could have sat here for another two hours and just listened to you talk. And I thought as you were talking, she must be an amazing lecturer. And I think you are. Thank you your very kind words and and I just thank you for having me I, I really appreciate you inviting me to be um, in this segment and and for you know being interested in this part of me and part of my life and for you know for listening and um, I just I really I really appreciate it so uh thanks everyone Dr. Rebe Rebecca Vicente has left her information um if you're interested in working with her um, you could find her at oh at <laughs> spiritofhathor.wixsite.com. Awesome. Or Spirit of Hathor on Instagram. On Instagram. Spirit of Hathor LLC. Uh, 
Thanks everyone for listening in. We will see you soon.